Uh, we are starting a brand new series today called Moments with Jesus. Moments with Jesus. Uh, when you think about your own life, there are moments, if you're a believer, that you can look it back on and see these moments that shaped your life. We know that Jesus is always walking with us, but we also know that there are those moments that shaped your life, that destined your life, that stopped you dead in your tracks or got you going onto a call from God. I think back to my life, and it was a moment with Jesus that saved me when I was six years old in kids' church when I finally understood who Jesus was, what he did on the cross, and I invited him into my heart. It was a moment with Jesus when I felt him call me into ministry. It was a moment with Jesus where I felt him rescue me out of hopelessness and give me hope as a teenager. It was a moment with Jesus where I said yes to coming on staff at our church a long time ago. It was a moment with Jesus while I was dating Mandy that I felt him speak to me and say, she's the one. It was a moment with Jesus in specific situations with my kids where I got on my knees and asked God to give me wisdom. And it was a moment with Jesus where I felt I had the wisdom I needed for certain situations. It was a moment with Jesus that gave me clarification in a season of confusion, even leading this church. There are moments with Jesus all of us could sit down and, and if we wanted to, Think back to those moments and write them down. And that's why moments with Jesus are so important and why we're going to do this sermon series leading into Easter this year. What we're going to be looking at are different people and their interactions with Jesus in the four Gospels and Jesus's ministry and how these moments with him, conversations with him, miracles done by him, how they impacted that person and how they changed that person's life and also applying it to our lives today. If you have your Bibles, we'll get there in a minute, but you can turn to Matthew chapter 14, and that's where we'll be for the entire time today. But the person we're going to be talking about today, it reminds me of this. When, when you're watching a movie or reading a book, no matter what your favorite genre is, uh, my wife and I could not be on more polar opposite ends of our favorite genres in movies. I like the most make-believe, science fiction, fantasy genre ever. Anybody fans of like science fiction, sci-fi fantasy? Mandy is the complete opposite. She, she wants what's real. She, you know, whether it's a, 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 a romantic comedy, some, uh, a mystery. I, I like those things, too. I mean, she likes those good movies from the 90s, too. I, I like them, like The Firm and uh, Hunt for Red October. You guys know those, like, 90s real good movies. She likes those. I like them, too. But my favorite's on the completely other end of the spectrum. But no matter what your favorite genre is, what all screenwriters know and story writers know and authors know is this. No matter how unrealistic the character is, you have to write a character that isn't solely idealistic because people want deep down to, real, to relate to realism, not just idealism. Even with like the, the Marvel movies, with, with all, the, all the different superheroes, the DC movies, the Marvel movies, where you have Superman, Batman, uh, you got Thor. No matter what, this is the funniest thing about it. If you don't believe me, this whole identifying with people thing is real. Because those are the most idealistic, not real people ever. But for some reason, I can only speak for myself and guys. I'm sure it happens with women too. But for some reason, guys will walk out of a movie identifying with Thor. Like, I will walk out and go, we have a lot in common, babe, right? Like, we have a lot in common. We will walk out of a movie going, I see myself in Superman. Why do you see yourself in Superman? Because the writers know, no matter how idealistic this person is, they have to have this realistic side to him so humans can connect. And I, that's why I view God putting Peter in the Bible is our gift, his gift to us, us because he is not idealistic. He is the most real person you could ever imagine in the Bible, and we're going to be looking at a moment he had with Jesus. Peter is always the first one to talk, the first one to act. He's always the first one to mess up. Jesus has to correct him. I read this last week. One commentator, one theologian said about Peter, he said the only time he didn't have a foot in his mouth is when he was taking his left foot out and replacing it with his right foot. He always was saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. And in this story today, we're going to pick up again in Matthew chapter 14. There's so many to choose from with Peter, but this is one of my favorites. And the story really begins in the feeding of the 5,000, but that's not where we're going to be today. It quickly moves into another story of 
Jesus walking on water, followed by Peter walking on water. The story begins, though, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes the little boy's lunch, the five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies the food to feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, about 15,000 people that day. The disciples see this miracle. And if you're following along, I'm not going to read the story today. I'm going to tell it. So if you want to follow along, what you'll see right when the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is over, the very next word is the word immediately. And it says immediately, this is the sentence, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and he sent them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He made them get into the boat. Jesus finished conversations with people on the hillside and as they were going home. And the Bible says he went up a mountain to pray as the disciples went into the Sea of Galilee at night. The sun had just gone down. They go into the Sea of Galilee. What should have been a two-hour trip to Bethsaida ended up being an all-night fiasco because a giant storm, the Bible tells us, comes, and it beats against the boat. They're afraid for their lives. And where's Jesus? Not in the boat. Now, if you're like me, and I know we are like the disciples because we're human, this is the part of the story where if you're the disciples, you're thinking, how could a good and loving Jesus, who we just saw do all of these great miracles, how could a good and loving, all-knowing Jesus make us get into a boat knowing there was a storm? Because what we'll find out is he's the Lord of the storm. Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, and then all night long, and the Bible tells us at the darkest moment of night, right before dawn, the disciples, right before they think they're going to die from this hurricane-force wind storm, see a figure walking on the water. The other disciples immediately yell out, it's a ghost, and they're wondering what this figure is, and then Jesus calls out to them and says, take courage, it is I, and he claims he's Jesus. And without any hesitation, the very next line in the, in the story, Peter blurts out, if it's really you, and he says something that none of us would have said if we're being honest. I think sometimes we have to re-look at these stories and think about how crazy they are. If I was Peter, what Peter ends up saying is, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. If it was me, I would have said, if it's you, get over here. Why are you taking so long? Get in this boat, Jesus, please get in this boat and calm this storm. We got to go to the shore. But Peter's like, no, 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 no. He says, if it's you, I want to do what you're doing. Tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus goes, all right, come on. And Peter just steps out of the boat. You wouldn't do it either. I look at this and I go, I would do it. No, I wouldn't. Peter steps out of the boat and what should have been water that he sinks in, all of a sudden it's firm, defies all the laws in nature. He begins to walk on the water toward Jesus. And as he's walking on the water, you can imagine the other disciples are in awe. Jesus is standing there. And then what happens? Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and onto the storm. And because of the wind and the waves, the Bible tells us he became distracted and starts sinking into the water. Jesus comes over and meets Peter, pulls him out of the water, grabs his hand, pulls him out of the water. And he says this very famous line, that's spoken inside and outside of Christianity. Everybody knows this line because we use it, and this is where it came from. Jesus pulls him out of the water and says, Peter, ye of little faith. If you didn't know, that's where that line comes from. Ye of little faith. He pulls him out of the water, and then all of a sudden, they're walking on water again. Back to the boat. They get in. Then the, the, the storm is calmed, and then the disciples proclaim who Jesus is. He, is the, he surely is the Son of God, and then the story's over. They go to the shore, and then the story's over. It moves on to the next story. But there's a lot to learn in this moment between Peter and Jesus. There are probably 15 different sermons you could preach from this moment with Jesus, but you're in luck. I'm only doing one, and we're going to look through this, and I have today three truths from Peter's water-walking moment with Jesus. So if you're taking notes, number one is this. The first truth is Jesus is the Lord of the surplus and the storm. He's the Lord of the surplus and the storm. Did you know that? He's the Lord of the good and the bad. And I thank God that Jesus is the Lord of the good and the bad, because that means even the bad ultimately has to bow down to the Lord of the bad. He's the Lord of the storm and the surplus. Think yesterday. Well, I think this illustrates it perfectly. When you think about yesterday, the storm that hit Albuquerque. I mean, we wake up, 7 o'clock, everything's fine. 
Everything's fine. I come to the church, starting to work on some stuff. I look out the window and I went, how did I not know this is coming? I call myself Doppler Dustin. I, how did I not see this coming? And all of a sudden this storm hits. Mandy's trying to make it to a wedding shower. They divert her on the interstate. All of a sudden like two inches, three inches. I'm like what is happening? The temperature's dropping. And then I have to, I leave the church and I, in my Jeep and then I go tra track her down somewhere on the west side and, and bring her to where she was going. I mean, it, it was crazy. The amount of wrecks that I saw just driving from here to there was insanity. And then I, as I'm, I'm having people text me all morning long. Hey, are we going to cancel church? I'm like, are you that anxious to cancel church? All right, what's happening? You know, and I'm like, it's Albuquerque guys, chill. Albuquerque will come in for the rescue here in a few minutes, I promise. And then I'm looking out the window. All of a sudden the sun comes out. And by like, what, one o'clock? It was as if it never happened. And I'm sitting there writing a, a sermon about this, and I'm looking at this going, isn't that such a great picture of what happens in our lives? It can be so bad, we're like, ah, life is so, it's crazy, and there's a storm, and we start making all these quick decisions. Should I cancel this, should I do this, in our own lives, and all we've gotta do is just hold on, because dawn is coming. The sun is coming out, and there's something coming on the horizon, and Jesus is teaching us the same thing in this story. Storms come to an end, and he's the Lord of the storm and the surplus. What do I mean by surplus? You go back to the story of the feeding of the 5,000 again. These stories are linked. And I'm going to start reading from Matthew 14, starting in verse 19, and we're going to go back to the middle of the feeding of the 5,000, and it says this. Then he, Jesus, instructed the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, who in turn gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied, and I love this part, pay attention to this part, and they picked up the broken pieces left over, surplus, how many baskets full? Twelve. Twelve baskets full. Not counting women and children, there were about 5,000 men who ate. I want to pause there just for a second. So, Going back a day and a half to two days before this was the last recorded time the disciples ate. They were doing ministry on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They get to this side of the Sea of Galilee thinking they're going to rest and eat, and then here comes the crowd. And they have no time to rest and eat because they're serving instead. And I, I preached on this a few months ago, the feeding of the 5,000, and I, I said in my sermon, I guarantee you when the disciples went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, the people are hungry and it's getting late. Maybe we should have them go home. He knew what they really meant. We're getting hungry. Tell these people to go home. We're getting hungry. And I think it's interesting. It's a side note, but I think it's interesting when you look at how he's the Lord of the surplus. Even when we think we are running on empty and we think we are running out, if we are serving and doing what Jesus has called us to do, there are basket full left over on the other side. There was one for every single disciple. Every disciple gets their basket full of leftovers, and they're sitting there, and they're talking, and you can imagine them sitting around and talking in that moment about how Jesus is the Lord of the surplus. They're eating that whole basket full of bread, and they're thinking, isn't this great following Jesus? We just have more than enough. It's overflowing. You know what they mean. Because in those seasons, that's what we say about Jesus. When things are great, when life is overflowing, the family's good, the marriage is good, the finances are good. Some of you guys are like, have all three of those ever been good? You know, like, okay, so, but everything's good in those seasons. And you're looking at Jesus going, man, he's this, he's the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of abundance. It, I love following Jesus. But then our lives, just like the disciples, of verse 22 can instantly begin. Immediately. How many immediately's have you had in your life? Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. They're like, okay, okay, okay. You know, he's making them get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while, they while he dispersed the crowds. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already far from land, was taking a beating from the waves because the wind was against it. He was, taking, he was taking a beating because the wind and the waves were against it. When you think about him being the Lord of the surplus and the storm, what Jesus is trying to show them in these stories, there's a pattern with the disciples. And that's why, to me, the four Gospels are so fun to study. The four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're not familiar, and they detail the life and ministry of Jesus. When you get to this part of all, all four books where Jesus is working with his disciples and discipling them, it's a picture of what he wants to do in our lives, and that's why it's so fascinating. Because you look at all of these stories and what's happening, and you begin to see a pattern. The disciples, just like us, are going through a situation, and they see what is. 
And, and that's what we do too. We analyze what is. It could be a good scenario or a really bad one. Here's what's happening. And then just like the disciples, we see this in the story of the 5,000 and in the story of the storm on the water. The disciples see what's happening. We need food. We need rescue. And then what happens is they jump all the way from they see what's happening into what they feel like should be happening. Okay, and this is what we do too. There's a problem with this though. The problem is once we know what is happening, we are control freaks. And so what happens is we like to tell God we solved the problem for him. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been in prayer, truly. And I end up laughing at myself. because I'll start praying about God. I don't know if you've seen, but there's this problem going on. But don't you worry. I already have a plan. I have a way you can rescue me. I have a solution for you. Aren't you proud that I can solve this problem for you? And I jump to what should be done. But when you jump from what is to what you think should be done, you jump over what could be done in Jesus' name. And we see this over and over and over again. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples say, here's what is. We have a large crowd and we don't have food. The solution, Jesus, we've already solved it. Tell them to go home. And Jesus goes, nope, I'm going to tell you what could be. And you could have seen this if you didn't leap to what should be. You're going to feed them. How? They could have never imagined when they jumped from here to over there that Jesus wanted to do something miraculous. And it's the same thing with the, with the storm on, on the boat when Jesus is walking on water. When they're out in the middle of that sea with that storm, they're analyzing what is and they're jumping to what should be. And honestly, if we're being real, what probably was in their head is what should be happening is this is the day they stop following Jesus because he's nowhere to be found. Just like in scenarios in our lives, what we think, we think he's not watching. He's nowhere to be found. And he's the one who put me in this boat. He's the one who did this. We jump to what should be, but Jesus says, just don't jump over what could be. They could have never imagined that Jesus would solve that problem by walking on water and calling Peter out to walk on water with him. So I want to ask you today, what are you jumping over that God could be doing? Because you went straight to what he should be doing. Come back, look at Jesus and say, what do you want to do? What do you want to do here in Jesus name and watch what could be happening? He's the Lord of the surplus and the storm. Point number two is this. The second truth. The impossible requires awareness and action. The impossible requires awareness and action. When we think about the impossible, Peter walking on water is impossible. But in order to do the impossible, it didn't require what we think the impossible requires. We think the impossible requires me being perfect, something crazy supernatural to prompt me. We think that we think it's something we do that sparks the impossible. But here's what's interesting. The impossible is done by Jesus, but he gives us access to it. And it doesn't come through some of the things we think. It simply comes down most of the time doing something impossible in our lives comes down to awareness and then the willingness to take action. What do I mean by awareness? John 10, 27, Jesus is talking. He kind of gives us a clue into how people can connect with him and know when he's speaking to them and how we can achieve the impossible in our lives. John 10, 27 says, the sheep that are my own, hear my voice and listen to me. I know them and they follow me. Jesus does the impossible. And if I'm following him, my life is doing the same. And the only way I follow him is if I listen to him. And if I, if I listen to him, I've got to know the difference between hearing and listening. You know the difference between hearing and listening. If ladies, if you're married and your husband, he's in the room, look at him. You know the difference between hearing and listening. Yesterday, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll confess my own sin. Yesterday, we were in the living room talking, Mandy and I, and we were in a conversation. It was a good conversation. All of a sudden, I got distracted. Somebody texts me, and I'm reading this text, and she's sitting across the living room, and I'm just going, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm hearing, but I'm not listening. And you want to know what's awful when you get to the end of that conversation and you can hear her tone starting to come to the bump, but bump, but bump. All of a sudden, I have an anxiety attack because I'm like, I have no idea what she's been saying. And here comes the question. What do you think? <laughs> There's nothing in my brain because I was hearing, but I wasn't 
listening. And how often do we do that to God? We get so preoccupied with what's in our hand and what's immediate, we're looking at God going, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, but I want to do this. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we're listening to God, and he's saying, you're hearing, but you're not listening. And unless you listen, you won't do the right thing. You won't act the right way. You won't achieve the impossible in your life. And we do the same thing with our teenagers. They're about to walk out the door on a Friday night, and you're telling them all the rules. Be home at this time. Do this. Don't go with that person. Don't go with that person. Are you listening? You're not listening. And they're going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you stop them, and you go, listen, because you're going to be held accountable based on what I'm saying. And I think God is doing the same thing with us. Listen, because our lives depend on being connected to Jesus and being a sheep that can hear the shepherd's voice. I'll prove to you why this matters, because Peter could hear the shepherd's voice. He was aware of the situation. Matthew 14, 25 through 31 says, At the night, uh, as night was ending, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. So the disciples were terrified, but not Peter. They said, it's a ghost. They were aware, but not at the level of being sheep, knowing their shepherd was near. It's a ghost and cried out with fear. But then there is one other response. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage. He speaks and guess who was the first person to not only hear, but listen. Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come to me. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. The reason why Peter walked on water is because he was a a sheep that knew the shepherd's voice. That's it. It could have been James, it could have been Andrew, it could have been any of the other disciples. But Peter was looking for Jesus in the storm, not just talking about Jesus in the storm. He was looking for him. Others saw a ghost. Peter saw Jesus and said, I'm ready to step out and do something. And when Jesus spoke, he listened and listening prompts action. And when listening or awareness and action meet in Jesus name, the impossible can happen. Action was something Peter was great at and something that some of us are great at and some of us may not be great at the listening and prompting and acting, but Peter was great at it. It goes all the way back to the very first day Jesus called him. You go back to to the edge of the Sea of Galilee that day, Jesus walks up to Peter and the other disciple, they're fishing, and Jesus walks up and has this conversation and he says, hey, I want you to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. They had just experienced a miraculous catch Peter looks at Jesus, this man saying, come follow me. And what was Peter's action? What was his reaction to that? Now listen to the wording. Jesus in Matthew 14, when Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus says, come to me. Come on, Peter. And all those about a year and a half earlier, Jesus says the same thing to Peter. Peter's in a boat on the shore. And Jesus says, Peter, come to me. Come follow me. And I'll teach you to be a fisher of men. What does Peter do that day? He gets out of the boat and walks toward Jesus and starts following him. Exactly what John 10 says a sheep will do. Following the shepherd, following Jesus as his leader. And Peter has already developed the pattern of when Jesus speaks, I act. So when Jesus speaks in the storm, Peter's the one to act. It's a discipline we begin on small levels. So when it really matters, we are able and ready and willing to listen and act when it means a big move or a big decision, because I know the shepherd's voice. I listened to the shepherd's voice when he told me not to date this person, and I listened. So now all over here, when it comes to marrying the right person, I know his voice, and I'm willing to step out and do what he's called me to do. It's a pattern that we develop. We have to listen to his voice. But Jesus also, when he looks at Peter, he knows he's good at acting, not acting in the sense of acting, but action acting. But there was something else he was missing. Jesus was trying to show him that continuing to walk on water with Jesus requires something that Peter did not have yet, which was endurance in his faith. Peter could take that first step. Some of us are first step champs. When God says something, we're like, that's me. But then what about the follow through? and the endurance. What about when someone makes you mad at church? Do you keep church hopping? 
What happens when it's time to serve? What happens when it's time to be godly in the home? What happens when your opinion isn't considered in a place that you wanted it to be considered? What happens then? Can you endure and can you walk through the storm? Number three is this, the third truth. Faith requires focus. So when you think about this water walking moment that Peter had with Jesus, what we find out is that faith requires focus. Matthew 14, 30 through 31 says, but when he saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid. When he looked at the wind and the waves, he became afraid and started to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's two things, and I have enough time in this service, so I'm gonna tell you the one thing I didn't say in the other services. Ha <laughs> ha. So it's not that good, so you're like... <laughs> Jesus, two times the word immediately is used in this story. Immediately going into the storm and immediately being pulled out. It says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and pulled Peter out. Immediately Jesus sent them into the storm. As fast as you go into a storm, Jesus can pull you out of the storm. It is immediate when he pulls you out and he will not let you sink. I think it's interesting in this, in this verse when he says, you of little faith. Uh, the other day when I was thinking about, it was several years ago on this point, I was thinking about this and I was, I was praying. I was just like, there was part of me that was kind of not frustrated at God, but I had some questions. I was like, God, why, or Jesus, why when, when Peter's walking on water, he's the one walking on water. He sinks, poor guy. He got distracted. I would have too. Peter had ADD. He gets distracted. You pull him out of the water and you look at him and say, you of little faith? Can you, be, can you imagine being Peter that day, being pulled out? I'd be grateful, but I'd be like, Jesus, why me? Why not them? Why not the disciples still in the boat? Why wouldn't you look at them as you're pulling me out of the water and say, great faith, Peter, you of little faith, disciples? Since you didn't step out, we're having water walking moments in the middle of the storm. We're going to have training. James, step out. You're my own brother and you didn't even trust me. That's what I want this story to be like. But Jesus pulls Peter out of the water and says, you have little faith. Why? We learn a couple things. Because one of the things, Jesus wouldn't have looked at the other disciples and said, ye of little faith. Because faith was not required of them in that moment. Obedience was. Because it wasn't faith that caused Peter to step out of the boat with that first step. It was obedience. If Jesus never told him to come out on the water, it would have been a faith step. But the moment he said, if it's you, tell me what to do. If you ever pray that prayer, Jesus is going to tell you what to do. And the moment he tells Peter what to do, it's no longer a suggestion. It's no longer a faith step. Now it's an obedient step. When God tells me what to do, I have one option. Do it. I step out. So Peter was not being commended for stepping out and walking on water. What faith was in this story isn't the fact that Peter was walking on water. Jesus was trying to teach him that real, sustaining, enduring faith is keeping your eyes on Jesus while you're walking on water and not getting distracted by the circumstances of life as you're pursuing what Jesus is calling you to do. That's why he says, ye of little faith. He's preparing Peter for what's to come in his life. Another interesting thing is there's another time in scripture where Jesus uses this phrase, little faith. Little faith was also used in a positive way when Jesus was talking about faith in general, and he's talking about a mountain moving. You know, the, you know the story. Jesus said, what does it take to move that mountain? Just a little faith. Faith the size of a what? Mustard seed. It's the exact same wording Jesus used for the mustard seed conversation as he did with Peter. Several of the theologians, when I was researching this, they believe that Jesus was not speaking this out of condemnation or reprimanding Peter, but he was speaking this in a roundabout way, encouraging Peter, because what he's showing is the faith to move mountains, just a little faith. Because just a little faith partnered with Jesus, we can still do the impossible, just a little faith. But this whole story, this whole story is about preparing Peter for the future. This was never about Peter walking on water. 
This was never about any of that. It's not even about us walking on water or necessarily just doing the impossible. It's learning about learning something today so we have faith for what's coming tomorrow. He was teaching Peter, there will be a day I ask you. And we know the story. After Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus appears to Peter and brings him over to a small fire on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and commissions Peter back into ministry. That was, a, that was the moment that this story was training him for. Because Jesus is saying now, just like come out to me on the water in the middle of a storm. Peter, I know there's a storm raging around you in life. You feel guilty because you've denied me. But are you ready to come out to me again? And Peter says three times, I will feed your sheep. I love you. I will feed your sheep. It's time to step out again. And this whole story of Peter walking on water was when Peter took that step of obedience to say yes to the call of God. There were storms that awaited Peter. There was the storm of, of persecution. The storms of jail time, the storms of beating, the storms of uncertainty in the future, the storms of having to pick up and move from place to place. There were storms coming. What Jesus was teaching him in Matthew 14 is in the middle of storms. Don't look at the storm. Look at the Lord of the storm. Keep your eyes on me and you will endure and thrive in this life and what God has called us to do. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, we must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. It's keeping your eyes on Jesus that makes faith complete. And it's literally what Jesus was teaching Peter in this story. It's keeping your eyes on me that keeps your faith complete. I want my faith to be complete. I want when Jesus calls me out of a boat of comfort, I want to be the first one to step. I want to know his voice to where when he speaks, I act, I move, and I do because I want to be the sheep that knows the shepherd's voice. In the midst of uncertainty and what other people might say, the winds and waves of opinion, the winds and waves of all of these other things, I want to know that I can hear the voice of Jesus and I don't want to be a disciple that stays in the boat. I don't. I want to be the one that says, if it's you, I want to do what you're doing. I want to go where you go and I want to be a part of what you are doing. Faith isn't taking the first step. It's taking the next step and the next step and the next step after that. And that's what Jesus is wanting to teach you in this storm. Sometimes he'll put you in the boat that goes into the storm. He will. But he's always there and watching because he's the Lord of the storm. And all the storms we go through, it's the necessary friction to develop us into the people he's called us to be. This is maturity to the max and Gosh, I fail all the time, but wouldn't it be amazing to start shifting our focus away from the storm being an opponent to actually being a friend? If we looked at the storms of life and said, all you're doing as you rage against me and my family and my home, all you're doing is sharpening us. All you're doing is preparing me. All you're doing is developing me and molding me and keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. Do your worst. I want to end with John 10, 27 again. It says this in the Amplified Version. My sheep recognize and respond to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what I think all of us should be. The sheep that recognize and respond to the voice of God when he's calling us to step out and do something in faith. Um, to, to illustrate this today, we're going to have a conversation for the last few minutes of service on stage. Um, I think it's an amazing story, but if you would help me welcome my wife, Mandy, and also Pastor Nick and his wife, Marion, to the stage. Give them a big hand. Thank you, sir. So... Um, Nick and Mary, so Nick is one of our executive pastors. You guys are familiar with Nick. And then also Marion. Marion oversees all of our live production. She's our live production director, which means that for years now, she's overseeing our Sunday experience. And Nick, you oversee, you're the executive over ministries, which is Next Gen and all of our groups and all the ministry, advancement ministries in, in the locally and globally and all of those things. Um, but you guys are walking out what um, I'm, I'm preaching today. And I, I wanted to be able to have a conversation with you guys. And I think we also need to know for context. A lot of you guys are newer to the church and um, we, we are best friends with them. 
Uh, Nick and I have known each other for 20 years. I've known Marion even longer. Um, I mean, we, we are buddies. Our kids are all friends. And we want to talk, though, about something that God is doing in their life um, that's a good thing and a God thing. But about six or seven years ago, Nick, uh, just as, as friends, we were talking, and, and you brought up uh, something to me that intrigued you. And it was England, of all things. England. And you brought this up, and you're just saying, Dustin, I don't know what it is, but I, I just feel like this draw to England. And I was like, well, go on vacation. You know, like, you know, but I, I felt this draw. And over time, that draw ended up developing. And, and he just said, I don't know when it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it will look. But I do feel like one day there will be some kind of calling that develops um, with us with England. And so you fast forward a, a few years, a couple years ago, um, Nick talked to me and said, hey, this is really developing in, our, in my heart, and I want to be able to kind of pursue this to a degree. He's like, do you care if I kind of open you know, some doors and just see what God does with different possibilities there? And I was like, of course. And so through this whole thing, they've handled everything so perfectly um, and well. But Nick, I, I, wanna, I want you to maybe pick up there and give us a little context on what you guys are doing and, and, and what's led you to where you are. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, God made it clear that many years ago that England was going to be a part of our story. He made it very clear to me, um, but he hadn't made it clear to Marion. Um, and that was a big part of this journey was, you know, God gave me a dream. God gave me a vision for the future. And in conversation, trying to work that out, what does this look like? What is this bullseye? What, what is this? And for so many years, it was just something that was in the back of my mind. Uh, it was a seed that God had planted in my heart, but there was no real expression of it. In addition to the fact that uh, Marion wasn't too keen on the idea. Yeah, um, I think Nick shared kind of what he felt God was putting on his heart uh, with me around the same time he did with Dustin. And um, for me, it was like a stiff arm, like, don't talk to me about it. Um, if anything takes me away from Albuquerque, from my family, from the church, uh, I don't want any conversation about it. I'm not doing it. And to be honest, I was pretty rude about it. Like, he would bring it, bring it up and try to talk to me about it. And I was like, nope, I'd shut it down right away. Um, and about around uh, 2020, when we first started coming back to the church um, in person, I, is when I really felt the Lord um, convict me, and and it was a "Have you prayed about it?" kind of conviction. Like, have you really, have you talked to me about it? And I'm like, well, no, God, I don't, and I really don't want to, you know. Um, but I knew that's what I had to do, and so uh, it was about three or four months. I would come early every day to work here at the church. I'd get my coffee and I'd just start marching around the building. And what I was doing, I've, several of the staff members saw me and they'd drive by and be like, what is she doing? But <laughs> I'm just like prayer marching around the building and I uh, was wrestling it out with God. And I was saying things like, God, if you've placed this on Nick's heart and that he really feels like this is what you're doing with our family, you have to change my mind and you have to change my heart. And um, so that's what we were working out. In the end of those months, I'm saying months of doing this, um, the best way I can describe it was a feeling of release, where it was um, you are released from, from what you are so used to and clinging on to is kind of what I can describe it as. And that turned into a confirmation that this is what we needed to explore together. And that's where we started our journey together for the first time in seeking the Lord and his plans for our family. Yeah, and what's cool for me, from our perspective too, we got to watch that. We got to watch God speak to you first and then start to work on both of you. Because when I first talked to you about it, you were like, Marion's against this. And I was like, yes, yes, all right, good, yes, this is awesome. And then you know, Marion's starting before this, and I was like, okay, we gotta start praying now. Um, but what, yeah, so it's, a, it's really cool to see just God begin to confirm thing, things in both of your lives. But uh, you look back to this August, a very specific door started opening. Um, kind of share with us a little bit of that in that time frame. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, like, like Pastor Justin was mentioning earlier, this has been a journey, and there was not a clear expression of what this could look like. It was a seed. It was a dream. We believed it was God. When we got that confirmation from her, okay, now what? And so for the longest time, it was just there. And uh, I was on a, a phone call with a friend of mine from England who's just been aware of this journey 
and he had um, asked me a couple things on this phone call. He said um, he wasn't planning on throwing any information out, but he said, hey, there's this opportunity that I want you to consider. And what that opportunity was, was coming on staff at a church in England, in the Midlands of England, outside of Birmingham, um, in a large city, second largest city in England, uh, in the Midlands, a town called Bedworth, a church called Life Church Bedworth. Um, and it's a thriving church, it's a growing church, but it's not the senior role, it's an executive pastor role. And up until this point, that's not what had been in my head or in my heart when I was thinking about our future in England. It was a church plant, it was this, it was that. And I took that and I received it and I said, hey, I'll think about it. But the second thing he said to me, is he said to me, do you have a word from God? And in that moment, I knew I had a call from God, I knew I had a dream from God, but I didn't have a word, a clear word in scripture from God. And so uh, I took the next couple days after getting off the call, kind of forgot about this idea of executive pastoring there. Um, and I was sitting in my office and I was in the book of Exodus in chapter 33. Again, none of that was in the forefront of my mind. And I came across a verse that rocked me. And it was at a time when the Israelites were in the wilderness and there was some just drama happening. And uh, God tells Moses, he says, he says, go. He's telling him to lead the people into the promised land. And Moses' response to God in that moment was, how, how are they going to know that you sent me if your spirit doesn't go before me? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in verse 17 of that um, is when I read it, and I, I, I got emotional um, because what, um, what God told Moses in response to that was, uh, because I'm pleased with you and because I know your name, my spirit will go before you. I'll do what you ask. Great. And I felt God in that moment confirm this idea of going on staff at this church in England in my spirit. And I just started weeping. And I immediately called Marion and I said, I've, I've got a word. And, and I know that this is what God is leading us to specifically. Um, and, you know, I had Dustin jump on the call and yeah. talk with the pastor there as well. Yeah. So I, what's really interesting about all of this is me trying to figure out my role. You know, because we, we are ascending church and we want people to thrive hearing from God and saying yes to what God's called them to do. But it's also my best friend. So there was this tension of like, I don't want this to happen, but I think God does. And I talked to the pastor. I'd been praying for a, a long time about it. And I talked to their pastor on the phone. We had a FaceTime call and he was amazing. Um, his name is Danny. His wife's name is Naomi and just amazing godly people. And what was so impressive with this phone call is normally if somebody calls it's like all, it's only these nuts and bolts. Can the person do the job? Can the person do the job? And yeah, um, parts of the conversation were some of that stuff, sure. But the primary part of this conversation was, I want to talk to you about how much we care for them and how they're, we're going to care for their daughters. We're going to care for them. I want you to know as his best friend that they're coming to a place where they will be cherished, loved, and valued and taken care of. And when he was saying this, I was just thinking those were all the things I was concerned about. And when I got off the phone or in the middle of the call, I felt God speak to me and give me a release and speak to me and just say, I'm doing this. He said, I'm doing this. Let it happen. Help it happen. And I got off the phone and called Nick to come into my office. And I'll never forget that day because it, we're like best friends, but we're not like huggy or anything. And I, I went over to him and I like put his, my, head, my head on his shoulder and just cried. <laughs> I was like, I think you're supposed to go, you know. And it was, it was just one of those days in October, and, and it was powerful, though, um, because it, it was really solidified in, in our hearts as well. Yes, for sure. And um, if you're newer here, you may not even realize the unbelievable impact that the Camachos yeah. have had on this church and this city. And um, the seeds sown over all yeah, the years. Amazing. Yes. And something that um, I've been praying for them is that all the seeds sown here, that yes, ministries that they've started or developed here, they would continue to thrive and a harvest would just continue. But they would go and they would experience harvest even there. And all these years of sowing that they would begin to reap a harvest of blessing and ministry influence and uh, authority And uh, that's what we're just praying over their lives when they go to this new endeavor, that they walk in it, a new anointing, a new authority, and uh, that every life that they touch, that is just, uh, there's just a a powerful anointing on them to see life change happen there. I believe that's going to happen. Like Dustin said, we are ascending church, 
but it's the worst <laughs> when it's your friends, you know? You're like, oh, God, I know we said we're ascending church, but man, it's tough. But um, I, I know that God honors that. He honors sacrifice. And um, I believe that the best days for this church are ahead of us yeah. and for them. And something that Dustin has shared with our staff because we're all like, no, you know. But he said, if it's God for them, it's God for us. Right. Yeah. And if God's hand is on them as they go, then God's hand is on us so as they go. So we can all just rest in that. And, okay, God. You've got our, our kids are best friends. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are my kids going to do? They're so close. God's got our kids. God's got this whole thing. And uh, I really do believe that with all of my heart. And I'm so proud of you guys, truly. Um, I think that you're next level leaders. And yes, you will be so missed. But at the same time, we're just really, really excited. We're excited to visit England. Yes. I always want a reason to visit England. <laughs> Um, but I don't think we talked about timeline. I think that's important. Yeah, I was going to say this. So the whole, this whole time has been amazing as they, since they've kept us in the loop and handled this so well. I mean, they could write the book on how to leave somewhere well. And what's so cool is being up, able to be kept up to speed on all of this. We were able to talk with our board through this this fall, and we're able to help them financially and bless them as a church as they go and, and, and see this as a missions arm of our church. And it's so amazing. Uh, I just It's a privilege to be able to do that. And I, I know you guys have a lot of very big months ahead. And me even saying that, though, they're going to be out in the atrium and, I mean, 10 years on staff and more. I mean, I would love for you guys to pray about sowing into their ministry, into their lives, and what they're going to be doing um, in England. But yes, like what Mandy was saying, walk us through the next few months and what timelines look like. Yeah. Um, first of all, we just want to say how much we love and honor you guys. Um, we would have this opportunity if it wasn't for you, Dustin. You're the first person that believed in me, and uh, you called out potential in me as a friend and as a roommate. And so I didn't get a chance to say this last service because we were on more of a time crunch. Um, <laughs> But I love you, um, you and I appreciate you with more than I could articulate in your leadership, both of you. Love you too. Um, timeline. Yeah, timeline. Uh, I'm, at the end of April is when I'll be uh, moving to, to England. Um, and uh, then uh, at the end of May, beginning of June, um, is when Marion's going to go out there with our two younger girls after school gets out. Yeah, um, and I just wanted to say, I, I told them this last service, but... The picture that I believe God gave me of um, Dustin and Mandy in particular is like them holding us up, like a pedestal kind of, through this whole process. And um, you guys are pure gold. Not only are you you our best friends, but the best leaders. And we have had the honor and privilege of learning from you. Um, you're giving us wisdom through this journey. Um, and let me tell you, we there's no way we could or would be doing this without you. And um, we just thank you. I think the world of you. You're welcome. Honor to do it. I, um, what, what we're going to do, how we're going to um, in, in this is uh, we're going to ask their kids to come up on the stage and, and welcome them as they come. And we're going to pray over Nick and Marion and their family today. So we've got Britton and Hazel and Nadine and Dominic. And um, here, so... Dominic and Nadine, two young adult kids, are, are not moving. They're staying. Thank the Lord. Um, Dom, Dominic oversees our young adult ministry here um, at our central campus. Yes. And um, new within the last month or so, Nadine is actually overseeing our kids ministry in Maui, on our Maui campus. So just thriving. And um, this is Britton and Hazel, and, they, and they're moving. And, and I, I, I've said this to the other two services, but I want to say it again because I truly mean it. Um, I was praying for you guys this week. And I felt like what God wanted me to tell you was that if you, if you lean in and embrace the sacrifice of your parents' calling, the, the calling and embrace this as God's calling them. And I'll, I'll say this again too. You're allowed to have questions and you're allowed to have frustrated moments and you're allowed to be happy. You're allowed to celebrate. This is, a, this is one of those, there's no, there's, it's a tension. You're excited and it's sad. But gosh, what an adventure that God takes us on. And I believe that if you lean into your parents' sacrifice and their calling, God will multiply favor and opportunity in your lives. There is such a calling on both of your lives. You are leaders, you're amazing. And I just feel like this next season, you're gonna thrive in levels that you can't even imagine. When you think about going, when you think about there, dream about what could be. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about in this last service, not what should be. 
Think about what God can do in your lives when you, when you get there, and it's gonna be amazing. Would you guys stand today and just stretch out your hands and, and let's pray for this amazing family. God, we just thank you so much for Nick and Marion and their kids and everything they've done in our church and in our city. So many ministry endeavors, so many seeds planted, so many lives changed because of their leadership and their yes to this place. And God, I pray that they would carry that, like what Mandy was saying, with them to England, and as they sow into Life Church, as they serve with Danny and Naomi. God, I pray that this would be an amazing church that thrives and grows, and God, that, that Nick will lead in levels he's never even thought he could. And God, I pray for Marion, and I, I pray that doors that could not be opened will open. And God, I, I pray that she will walk in confidence and strength and, and know that every step is ordered by you. God, I pray for Dominic and Nadine as they stay. And God, I pray that you would encourage them. Give them courage here, Father. Give them strength and stability, favor, favor financially, blessing and opportunity, God, and protect their minds and spirits. And I pray also for Britton and Hazel. And God, I pray as they go, I, I pray that you, right now you would prepare the way with friendships, relationships, God. I pray that you would prepare the way with opportunities in ministry. God, prepare the way in their schools, in the hallways. Guard their friendships. Guard their minds and their hearts. God, I pray that they would dream about what could be because you're in this and you're in their corner. Protect them and bless them. Give them favor. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give them another big round of applause. Love you. Man, you can be seated just for a moment. I want to close in prayer for all of us today. It's important that we share this, especially from an executive pastor and, and you guys knowing and being able to support them, but also what an amazing story to illustrate what could be happening in your life. What is God calling you to do? What boat is he calling you to step out of today? What is he calling you into? And my encouragement again today is just to keep your eyes on Jesus. The storm's coming, but he's the Lord of the storm. I want to pray over you today and just encourage you that this week would be an amazing week, a fresh week with new perspective, and that you would dream about what could be, what's on the other side, other side of that faith step with Jesus. Father, we thank you today, and I pray over every person in this room. God, I pray that God dreams would be birthed. God, I pray for those who have already stepped out of the boat. I pray for endurance and strength to keep going and for their faith to be built step after step after step. Those that feel like they're sinking today, all we have to do is reach up Jesus and you'll pull us out. It says you immediately pull us out and we'll walk on water again. God, I pray for those in the boat that, are, that know this step, that know the next step. Maybe we're nervous about what that obedient step looks like. As we lean into you and hear your voice, may we listen to it, know it, and have the courage and strength to step out and act on what you're calling us to do. God, I pray for every person in this room, blessing and favor. And in Jesus' name we pray. We all said?